Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Well, it has been said that watching democracy at work is a lot like watching sausage being made. And we're certainly seeing that in our day. Oh, my goodness. Uh, In my life, I don't remember there being as a contentious spirit in Washington as there is today. And if it's not, uh, if it's not arguing back and forth over the, uh, over, over the virus and how the virus will be treated uh, and what we should have done and could have done and will do and won't do, uh, if, it, if it isn't about the, the, the rioting and the, and the looting of stores and uh, all the issues that are circulating around racism uh, and, uh, and abuse of, of authority, uh, uh, if, if we didn't have enough to deal with already, the passing of uh, Associate Justice uh, uh, Ginsburg uh, just, it's like throwing uh, gasoline onto the fire. Never ever has there been a, a greater need, at least in, in, in my life, uh, for Christians to truly understand who they are and, and who God is calling us to be and how, how we can impact our nation as our nation appears to be fragmenting before our eyes. One wants to hope that both sides are driven by a sincere desire to improve our country. Are we a perfect country? No. But as I've come to say, uh, I don't think there's a better place to live. But that still gives us an opportunity to make it even a better place to live. And we can do that if we work together in sincerity. Sincerity in what we do and what does that mean to be sincere? But to act out of uh, 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 a genuine belief or feeling. What is good? What is best? And Paul, Paul tells us in his letter in Romans that first and foremost, before we do anything, we must be sure that our love is sincere. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to open them to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. I've calculated it out. People say, we're going to be in Romans all year long, aren't we, Pastor? And actually, we're going to be in Romans until the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, that's, when we'll, that's when we'll wrap this up. Uh, this, the 12th chapter is, as I've said before, is really a tipping point. Uh, everything that leads up to the 12th chapter is the, is the why. We get some great doctrine, uh, great insight and understanding into God's love, His grace, His mercy, the function of the law, the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jewish background believers and the Gentile background believers, how we can come together to honor and glorify God and, uh, uh, and, the, and the reality that it is God's pronouncement upon us that we are righteous, not because of what we have done, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we come to chapter 12, and the question is asked, so what? So what? 
and we've talked about uh, the, those opening two verses about uh, uh, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. To live is to worship, which is offering ourselves as living sacrifices is our spiritual act of worship. As we live, we worship God in everything that we say and do, struggling to prevent the world from, from pushing us into its mold, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. And then we come to this section, uh, chapters, chapter 12, 9 through 21. And if, if you had to come up with a, uh, with a tagline for what we learn from these 12 verses... This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian, both within the family and as we navigate the world around us. If somebody ever comes to you and says or asks the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Open your Bible to the 12th chapter of Romans and sit and read with them verses 9 through 21. It tells you what it means to be a Christian. As I read this passage, you're going to note a a vast difference in Paul's style. Up to this point, Paul has laid out arguments that have built upon themselves, and he is famous for these long and complex uh, run-on sentences. But when we come to this part, it's almost like we're hearing bullet points. It's short, it's quick, it's to the point. And ask yourself, as you listen to these words, where have I heard these words before? Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with, the peop- share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who bless you. Uh, uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? 
You know what? Christianity is about being obedient to Christ. If we can just agree that this outline, this, this outlines what it means to be obedient, and we just covenant and agree that we're going to go forth and do these things, well, we can just close it up, and, uh, and I'll pronounce the benediction, and we can go. Yeah. <laughs> it would be nice. It would be nice. I love that he loves, I love that he starts with love, that love must be sincere. And we've talked about this so much. Sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I guess you really can't say it often enough. To love is to will the good of another. To love is to will the good of another. I, I find it interesting that in the verses right before this, Paul tells us about the spiritual gifts. And then, as he jumps into this very clear application, he articulates that before we get to that point, recognizing that we have gifts, recognizing that those gifts are different, and that those different gifts form the body of Christ, make sure that your love is sincere. This echoes exactly what Paul is going to write to the church in Corinth. In chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians... Paul lays out all of the spiritual gifts, all the things that people who are in Christ, who are experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, are able to do. And then right after that, he goes into verse, uh, chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians, where he tells them, basically, you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you're not exercising those gifts with love, then you're missing the point. You are just flat out missing the point. So when we look at the 13th chapter, Paul says, you know, I tell you, I tell you all these gifts, but if I speak with the tongue of men and angels and I have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give everything that I have to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain love. Nothing. And then he gives us this description, this definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, granted, that's an idealistic definition of love. And if you would like to engage in a sobering exercise, write out those verses, and every, everywhere you see the word love, insert your own name. It's sobering. But that is the goal that we, that we strive for. Genuine love that is sincere motivates the follower of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was gathered with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed? And he said to them, I'm going to give you one more commandment. Just one more. Love one another. Come on. Love one another. As I have loved you, you love one another. And you remember that's the night that Jesus sat down with his disciples and he washed their feet. He served them. He sacrificed for them. 
That's how Jesus demonstrates love. Through service and through sacrifice for others. To love is to will the good of others. If we have not sincere love in what we do as followers of Jesus Christ, then in all truthfulness, we're better off just to stay home. I think more damage has been done to the kingdom of God by people who have gone out to do things in the name of God without love. That's where the hypocrisy really shows itself. Love must be sincere. And then Paul, uh, in, in, in verses 9 through uh, uh, 13, I think this is a little housekeeping. This is, uh, verses 9 through uh, uh, 13, tell us how we ought to behave with one another. These are the things that, would, if people walk into a, a, a worshiping community, these are the things that ought to just s- surprise them that these things are going on. We hate what is evil, but we cling to what is good. We're devoted to one another. Never lacking in zeal or spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Serving is a key component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. There's a three-point sermon. I'm going to come back to that in just a bit, depending on how, we've got lots of time. Be joyful. There's a second service today, so I can't go on too long. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That's what the family of God should look like. But the family of God is not in crevasio. It is not turned in on themselves. The family of God is always looking out toward others. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not that God so loved the Christians. No, no, no. He so loved the world. But how is the world going to know the love of God if it's not seen within God's people? But once we figure out how to live that out amongst ourselves... Then we go out and we find our place in the world. In verses 14 through 16, equip us for that challenge. Bless those who persecute you. Where have we heard that before? That's right out of the Beatitudes. That's the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are you. When people say all kinds of things about you falsely on account of me, rejoice. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a tough one. That's hard. When, when, I, when, I, when I read this section, I think of the words of Mark Twain, who said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I, that I don't understand that give me trouble. It's the parts that I read and understand and just don't want to do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. How do we do that? How do we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn if we're not out into the world? And life is not always a bowl of cherries. 
And when someone is mourning, when someone is struggling, that's an opportunity for us to come up alongside of them and to encourage them and to remind them that they are loved and that there is a greater plan that is unfolding, that God is still sovereign, that he still reigns in the heavens, that our external circumstances do not dictate our internal condition. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So important for us as believers. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. I mean, Paul Paul concludes uh, the first 11 chapters of 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 this book to the Romans with this idea that we need to be grateful and in our gratitude, be humble. To be humble. We have the truth. We have the truth. Now, just saying that, some people would say, well, how can you say you have the truth? That sounds so arrogant and conceited. You know what? There is truth and there is falsehood. I loved it when uh, we were sitting in, in, uh, in Dallas Willard's office in a and a colleague, so he's, uh, he was the, the chair of philosophy at USC, and he said uh, one of his colleagues at USC uh, was giving him a bad time, and he said, you, you can't tell me that you really follow Jesus. And Dallas said, if you can come up with somebody better to follow, I'm in. But until you can show me somebody that is that is worthy to follow more than Jesus. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. We can, we can discuss it. What would you have in mind? When you have the truth, you have the truth. But you need to hold that truth with tremendous humility. Tremendous humility. Do not be conceited. Do not think more highly of yourselves than, than, than you should. Be willing to associate even with the lowly. How else are we going to win people to Christ? My brother-in-law used to say that God's normal way is first to win their respect. Then you can win a hearing, and then you can win them to Christ. If you have not their respect, you will never get a hearing. And if you can't get a hearing, how can you tell them about Jesus? And then I think the the, the last part here is, is just... This is just general for, for, for everyone. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The problem is, is that it's not always just dependent upon you. But if it is dependent upon you, what God is giving us uh, the, 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 the power and the ability to do is to be brokers of reconciliation. On behalf of Jesus Christ, let me tell you how you can be reconciled with God. You can be forgiven of your sins. There is hope for a better future. You can't hope for a better past. But neither do you have to be defined by your past. There is hope for a better future in Jesus Christ, knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that you are reconciled with the God of all creation. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, there's an image for the, for the ages. To heap burning coals on someone's head. In the Old Testament, that was seen as judgment. By doing good to people, are we judging them? Are we condemning them? Or are we challenging their own motives, their own insights, perhaps through our acts of charity and generosity and faithfulness, putting a pebble in their shoe that creates just enough irritation to make them think, what, what if I'm wrong? What if they're right? What would life look like? That's a tough one for us, too. Because if you hurt me, my gut response is to want to hurt you back. So we go back to what, he, what, uh, what Paul says, and it's the same thing that Jesus said. Bless those who persecute you. Jesus said it. In this world, you will have tribulation. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You will grieve for a while, but your grief will be turned to joy. And if you don't think that the disciples grieved when they watched Jesus be nailed to that cross, you've never really thought about the crucifixion of our Lord. And they scattered. And they were afraid. But that grief was turned to joy when they saw the resurrected Lord. Oh, my goodness. That changes everything. Death is not a final destination, but a doorway. We do transition from this world into the next. There is hope for the future. And we can live into that hope right here and now, setting a bar, setting a benchmark, living out an example for the world, an example that is joyful in hope. Joyful in hope. Joyful in hope. What an example that that gives. Who do you want to be around? You want to be around people who are, who are, who are angry, uh, people who are, who are uh, uh, disenchanted, people who are frustrated, or you want to be around people who have peace in their hearts, a peace that is, that is beyond understanding and, and, and joyfulness. Joyfulness that, again, transcends what's going on in the world. Joyful in hope, but patient in affliction. And right now, we find ourselves in a season of affliction. I'm so grateful that we're able to open up. And uh, at last week, we had a, a sanctuary to one service. The sanctuary was full of people. And so this week, we're going to have two services. Everybody's socially distanced. And the, uh, the 1030 people will come in. They'll be socially distanced. And you know what? It could all be shut down on Tuesday. God is sovereign. These are times of affliction, and they are our times. As Christians, how do we embrace the times that God has entrusted to us? Joyfully in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. How can I be joyful in hope and patient 
in affliction, pastor. Tell me how. You be faithful in prayer. As you are faithful in prayer, you will be reminded of the hope that you have in the future. And that will bring joy. And that joy in the hope that you have will sustain you and give you patience when you are afflicted. Insofar as it is possible with you, be at peace with all people. Sometimes there are people that just refuse to be reconciled. That's between them and the Lord. Don't let someone else's negative attitude impact negatively in your own life. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. And then the last line. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've heard the statement so many times, I think it starts to fall on deaf ears. The statement that is made, the only thing required for evil to thrive is for good people to do nothing. This is a kingdom ethic, people. It's a kingdom ethic that is reflective of the teachings of Jesus. I mean, Paul doesn't say, okay, now I'm going to tell you what the teachings of Jesus are. No, 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 no. But he gives them to us in bullet points. Almost everything that we read in 9 through 21 comes from Jesus. It is a kingdom ethic that we as followers of Jesus Christ need to set before us on a daily basis. These verses are worth memorizing. These verses are worth writing out. These verses, verses 9 through 21, write them out Put them on a card, put them on your refrigerator, put them on your mirror in the bathroom, make it as a bookmarker, whatever it is. In fact, I'll put these on a card and I'll have them for you next week. These are verses that we need to take to heart. This is what obedience is all about. Christianity that stays between the ears and never makes it out to the hands and the feet is not a Christianity that's worth having. That Christianity is not going to change you and it's not going to change the world around us. We change the world around us as we let the Word of God change us. And it starts with a love that is sincere. And when you have a love that is sincere and it informs everything else that you do, you'll find yourselves living in the kingdom. And that is a hopeful, patient, and faithful place to live. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. The challenges that we are experiencing are real. But so is the love of our Lord. This is an opportunity for us to shine for His glory. But without a love that is sincere... It won't matter. So I would ask you to repeat after me. With a love that is sincere, I will be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, 
and faithful in prayer. If you take that with you as you go forth this morning, you will find yourself increasingly living in God's kingdom. And you will have opportunity to demonstrate that your love indeed is sincere. And you will be hopeful, joyful in your hope, patient in affliction, and most of all, faithful in prayer.